You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Final message in the First Timothy teaching series. Can we celebrate that? And uh, if, if you're new with us this summer, what we've been doing is we, we go through a large portion of Scripture every summer, uh, sometimes a Bible book, and this year we went through 1 Timothy, and I know there were some challenging weeks, maybe for some of you, you're, you're like applauding, like, thank the Lord, we're, we're done with 1 Timothy. For others, I know I've just heard story after story of how God has really challenged people in our church, and we must remember, there is no growth without challenge. And so I've been really, really excited uh, for this summer. This has been one of those passages of Scripture I had uh, months and months ahead of time that I felt like God wanted for our church in this season. And, and I believe that the seeds that have been sown by the Holy Spirit, by the Word in this summer, are really going to continue to produce fruit down the road. Do you believe that? I'm, ex- I'm excited. Uh, one of the things I've been asked many times is, what's next? So what are we doing next? Second Timothy. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, there's, there's two letters. Uh, this fall, we're going to be going into a teaching series called Everything. Uh, I want to invite you back for that teaching series. It's a series about... It's a series about everything, everything you could, you could want to know about. Uh, but for us as Hill City Church, every fall we see people return from trips over the summer, schools back in session, all the rest, and we really try to focus a little bit more on who we are as a church, and our vision statement as a church is following Jesus with everything because he first loved us. And so we're going to go through for six weeks all these different areas of our lives and ask the question, how can we follow Jesus with everything in this area? So I'm super excited, but before that, we're going to close out our teaching series as we get into 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have a Bible... Go ahead, open to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And last week, uh, Dr. Derek Voorhees was here, and he preached. And uh, you might remember the end of the passage where we left off last week was a beautiful doxology. I want to just read it to you again. These words are so beautiful. 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting halfway through verse 15, it says, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Wouldn't that be a great place to end the letter? It's a beautiful doxology speaking of who Jesus is and these attributes of God. And yet, we've got a few more verses to go through. And the verses that we're going to go through today are almost like at the bottom of an email where you've, you've, you've said everything you need to say, and, and maybe you've said a few very important things, and you, what do you do at the very bottom? P.S. Just to, just to put a little stamp on there, just to put, you know, put, a, put a little pin in it, as they say. And the P.S. that Paul includes at the end of this letter to Timothy has to do with money. I know we've already talked about money in the series. Paul has already addressed money earlier in chapter 6. But really, he he really wants to answer this question. So what do you do if you find yourself with money? How should we treat the resources that God gives us? 
And the truth is, there are good and there are bad investments. Does anyone remember January 2021, the GameStop saga? Anyone remember that? There's now a Netflix documentary, apparently, about uh, the GameStop saga. And let me just, uh, maybe, you, maybe you saw it around, buzzing around social media a couple years ago, or you read it in the news. I, let me just remind us what happened a couple years ago. In January of 2021, this is right in the thick of pandemic, and people are staying home, and people are sitting on their computers for hours, and essentially what happened was there was a coordinated investment effort by individuals who are on Reddit. So Reddit is a website that you can go to, and there's four like discussion forums, and there's one discussion forum in particular called Wall Street Bets. And everyone on Wall Street bets is just individual, you know, individual traders, not like people on Wall, it's not people on Wall Street, it's people like in their living rooms, like people in their homes, like you, you, you and me, who, who are like on Reddit reading, like where should I invest? And Wall Street bets basically said, let's invest in the underdog businesses, the businesses that very likely will go under because of the pandemic. And one of those businesses was... It was GameStop, right? If you know video games, you know that you don't actually need a hard copy of video games anymore. Did you know that, by the way? You can download stuff straight from the internet and the cloud or however all of that works. And so these brick and mortar retail stores that sell those things, they just weren't doing well already. And then the pandemic and and places are closed, but they're still paying leases. I don't have to explain it, you you get it. But what happened was there were a few of these different companies that because of reddit because of just you know people on discussion forums online they started buying these very cheap shares from these companies so blackberry do you remember blackberry from the early 2000s blackberry uh the shares shot up by 280 percent amc movie theaters you remember movie theaters were closed right during during the pandemic amc movies shot up by 840 percent per share and GameStop was the most notable one this is why it's called the GameStop saga it was the most notable one GameStop shares increased by 1700 percent at the beginning of January 21 uh, 2021 you could buy a GameStop share for three bucks can't even buy a cup of coffee for three bucks, right? You buy a share in the company for $3, and then by the end of the month, it had gone up to $347.51. And so you had people who, they only had maybe a hand, like, I'll buy five shares for 15 bucks of GameStop, right? If they got in while it was low, uh, these individual investors, these people, just normal people in their houses, they made like 1,500 bucks. Is that a good investment? It's a great investment. It was a good investment for those individuals who were betting on the underdogs, but it was a terrible investment for Wall Street. So I don't know if you, you're aware of how Wall Street works, but there were essentially hedge fund managers who have not just like three, four bucks to play with, they've got hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars to play with. And they were actually betting against these companies that would very likely close during the pandemic. So they were betting the opposite direction. It wasn't this mom and pop, let's help the, you know, the struggling businesses. It was millionaires who were like, let's crush them. 
And how that basically works is they employed a strategy called short selling. Now, I had to look this up because I'm not big into the, the stock market game. But essentially what short selling is, is you borrow, essentially by paying a fee, you borrow stocks. You don't buy them, you borrow them. Again, I'm not super sure how all this works. Some of you are like, I know, I know the game. You borrow stocks, you borrow shares, you sell them immediately at you know, the $3 that you know, they're going for, and then you wait however much time, assuming that it's gonna go down because it's GameStop and they're all closed and they're not doing well, and it goes down by you know, two or three, you know, $2 or $2.50, and then you buy a bunch of them at 50 cents a share, and then by the time you have to return the shares that you borrowed, you've made $2.50 per share. Does that make sense? And if you do that with enough shares, like let's say a million dollars worth of shares, these hedge funds can get rich, essentially betting on the failure of certain companies. But what happens when a share that you bought at, or, or, and sold at $3 jumps up to $347.51? What happened for these hedge funds in Wall Street is they lost a total of $6 billion during the GameStop saga. So was it a good or a bad investment? It depends on who you are. That's why I should, I'm not here to give you stock market advice, by the way. That's not the goal of today's sermon. But the reality is, both of those, both of those parties, the individuals sitting at home reading Reddit forums, and the people on Wall Street, they were both had the feeling, this is a good investment. And for some of them, they pocketed $1,000, $1,500, and for others, they lost literally billions of dollars in one month. And let me just pose this question. What if the things that you are investing in with your life turn out to be a colossal loss? I mean, everyone thinks that the way that you live your life each day, the way that you spend your money, the things that you spend your time, your energy, your thoughts, what if... You're so certain, I mean, do you think those, those Wall Street experts and analysts and traders, do you think that they knew that they were gonna lose $6 billion? Of course not. They thought this is a great investment of our money. What if the things that you and I are living our lives for every single day, we think it's a good investment, but as it turns out, it ends up being a colossal loss. That is quite an important PS to include at the end of a letter, is it not? So with that in mind, let's jump into our teaching text for today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty. Everyone say uncertainty. See GameStop. Uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Now, remember, earlier in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, Paul has already said that classic line, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And a few weeks ago, I mentioned that he's not saying that money in and of itself is evil. It's not inherently good or bad. It's powerful. Do you remember that? Money is incredibly powerful. And, uh, and, and so really, he's not trying to condemn you or condemn your money if you have money. And that's, that's, I think, this is important. He circles back to it, because it's easy to kind of get that idea. Should I feel bad that I own a car, or own a house, or those kinds of things? Didn't God provide those things for me? And here he says, yes, he did. 
God, if God has blessed you, then, then that's, that's good. That's okay. Those are gifts for you to enjoy. But he says money is powerful, and there's two dangers that Paul calls out. The first danger, if you're taking notes, the first danger is that money can make us proud. He uses the word haughty. And uh, it's this interesting Greek, Greek word, which is hupse lafraneo. You don't have to try saying it. I can barely say it, and I know Greek. It's hupse lafraneo, and it literally means high-minded. Franeo is your mind in Greek. And it's this idea of if you have enough stuff, or if you have enough money, or if you have enough shares at GameStop or whatever it is, it's very, very easy for your identity to get wrapped up in what you have. In fact, some people might even feel like, I am what I have. I am the clothes that I own. I am the real estate that I own. I am the car that I drive. And it's very, very easy for money to almost, and wealth and possessions to creep into your sense of identity. This is who I am. And I want to say this very, very clearly. Your value has nothing to do with your net worth. Your value as a human being has nothing to do with your net worth. Your worth is more than your net worth. Does that make sense? More money in the bank does not mean you're more valuable than someone who has less than you. And maybe for you, this is an encouragement. If you don't have very much, if you don't have what someone else has, that doesn't mean you're less valuable as a person, as a human being. You are a human being created in the image of God. Imago Dei, this beautiful, inherent, intrinsic worth. As a person, you have value and worth. And yet it's so easy, especially the more successful and the more that you have, to begin to feel like, I earned it. I deserve it. And you start, you, you even hear that, right? People begin to look at someone less fortunate and they, and they say things like, that person's lazy. They don't work as hard as who? As hard as, as hard as me. Look at how successful, look at how good, look at how great I am, look at what I have, look at what I own. And people actually begin to compare themselves to others and they, right? It's hard, it's a tongue twister. They start to think highly, looking, like literally have that picture of, they, they, you get to a certain level, top of the pyramid, top of the food chain, and what are you doing? You're looking down at someone who you begin to believe the lie that they are beneath you. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy. This is Moses. Deuteronomy uh, 8, verses 17 through 18. He's speaking to the generation that will enter into the promised land, and he gives them this warning. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Moses is speaking to the wilderness generation, the generation that was born in the wilderness who would enter into the promised land, which means that almost none of those people saw the plagues, actually walked through the, the Red Sea, actually saw the mighty hand of God who was the one who has actually freed them from slavery and giving them their own land. Now, they would see miracles of their own. They would see manna. They would, they would see water from the rock. They would see all of the conquest of the land, the walls of Jericho fall. But there is this temptation, isn't there? 
where you receive a blessing and God has given you abundance and you begin to fall in love with the gift and you forget about the giver. Does that make sense? And we, can't, we can enjoy the gifts. We don't have to feel bad about the blessings and the things that God has given us. Paul says he provides us with everything to enjoy. But there's a difference between enjoying a blessing and loving a blessing or being overindulgent in a blessing. And we actually begin to love the gifts and we neglect the giver. We must remember to enjoy the gifts that God has given us and thank the giver. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, James writes. We've got to remember, who gave you the talents that you have to do your job? Who gave you each day of life? Who gives you each breath in your lungs? You start to think about it, who's holding the entire universe together? You start to think about how much credit you deserve for what you've been able to earn yourself, and Moses is calling that out in that generation, and we must humble ourselves before the Lord. And so there's this danger that money and wealth and what we have gets wound up and wrapped up. It makes us haughty. Poopsie la franeo. There we go. And we've got to humble ourselves and think accurately about ourselves. You are not what you have. The second danger is that money is uncertain. This is the idea that money not only has this this tendency to creep into your identity, that's where you're living from, but it also becomes the object of your hope. That's what you're living for. Does that make sense? Your hope is what you're living for. It's what you hope will happen in the future. It's what you spend your time, your energy. It's what you fill your schedule for. And most Americans live their lives for the dollar sign. It's the American dream, the accumulation, uh, security and comfort and happiness and luxury and vacations. It's this idea that if you work hard enough, even you can have a boat. Like that's the American dream, right? And it's just, and I'm not here to call you out if you have a boat, right? I'm not here to call you out for that. God gives blessings for us to enjoy. And, And yet it's this idea that money makes a terrible hope because it is uncertain. We should not put our hope in something that is here today and gone tomorrow. I want you to hear this very clearly. Whether you have a little bit or whether you have a lot or you're somewhere in between, your financial situation today is your financial situation for today. Does that make sense? Your finan- whatever you have today is what you have for today. Tomorrow is uncertain. Tomorrow is uncertain. And that we need to understand that is just universally true. That's uni- that we, and we must not put our hope in something that is here today and gone tomorrow. It's a terrible investment. It's a terrible investment. Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus addresses this in one of his many teachings on money. Jesus taught on money more than any other isolated topic It says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus says there's only one thing certain about your your material possessions. You want to know the one thing that's certain? They will be outdated. That's the only thing certain. They won't last. Anyone, Anyone have this experience? You don't have to raise your hand, but you finally get the new phone and it's new for like a week 
And then already people are like, did you see the new, new phone? And you're like, come on, you know? Or you get the outfit, and then it's like out of season already. Or you get, you know, you get the car, and I, like cars, oh man, you drive it off the lot, and it just decreases in value, and then it breaks down. It doesn't matter how nice the vehicle is, it will always break down. There's rust, moth and rust, right? And so it's this idea that how silly is it that we live our lives accumulating things that the only thing certain about those things is that they will be outdated and they will go away. And even if you live your entire life somehow with this up and to the right, year after year, your, your net worth is going up. Year after year, the business is, and that doesn't happen to anyone, by the way. Doesn't matter how successful you are. If you somehow were to achieve that kind of American dream up and to the right to the day you die, we all still die. And we, we will leave the things that we accumulated for ourselves here on earth. So here's the point. Put your hope in Christ. Put your hope in Christ. Heed not riches nor man's empty praise, right? We, we, must, have, we must fix our vision on Christ. He is the only living hope. And, and we're talking about more than just materialism, by the way. We're talking about if you're living for popularity, if you're living for success, if you're living for security, if you're living for, uh, for beauty, or if you're living for, uh, for athleticism, if you're living for whatever that fill-in-the-blank is for you that your hope is in, there is no other living hope other than Christ. Amen? He is the only one that will never leave you nor forsake you. He's the only one with the power to forgive your sins. He's the only one who can give you a hope for eternity, a hope that spans even beyond this life. Look at what Peter writes. He writes this in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? That's the gospel. Jesus is the son of God. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. He rose from the grave three days later. He is the only one that is this unshakable hope, an anchor for your soul. Have you been born again to a living hope? If you haven't, I want to invite you today to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Jesus, in John chapter 3, he says, those who are in the kingdom of heaven are those who have been born of the water and born of spirit. I believe Jesus is talking about baptism. Have you been baptized? We've got baptisms coming up September 3rd in the Boise River. I hope the weather is just a little better than it is today. But if it's not, we're still going down to the river, aren't we? We'll be there September 3rd. I want to invite you. You can, you can learn more about baptism. You can sign up online every week, it seems like, this summer. We've been getting more people and more people signing up to get baptized. I'm so excited to celebrate with you. It's this idea of going all in in your faith, being born again of the water and of spirit. Have you been born again of, uh, to the living hope? And you can receive that gift of God's grace for you today simply by praying a prayer today, asking God to forgive your sin and to lead your life. And I want to challenge you, if you've never been baptized, to sign up and be baptized and we can celebrate with you Labor Day weekend, church in the park. Let's continue through our text. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. Again, he's speaking to those who have. He says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, 
to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life which is truly life. Paul's not saying that you can purchase your ticket to heaven, by the way. He's not saying that you can earn it or or that any of us really deserve it because of anything that we do. God's grace is a gift. We receive it by faith, not by works, so that none of us may boast. Peter, or Paul writes that in Ephesians 2. But here he acknowledges that money does have power. We looked at the negative side of money. It's powerful in that it can trap you. It can take hold of your life. It can become an idol, a false god that you worship. It can become a source of, of, of grief and regret and anxiety. That's power, right? That's negative power. But here he talks about the positive side. Money is also powerful and that you can actually make an eternal significance with the things that God has entrusted to you here. Temporary things can be used to have eternal significance. And he's addressing those who have to those who are rich. And he, essentially he's saying this, the more that God has blessed you, the more responsibility you have to use those blessings to bless others. Jesus said this in a parable in Luke 12, verse 48, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. What has God given to you? You may not think that you're rich or think that you're wealthy, but the reality is most of us have more than the rest of the 99% of the world. Just in America, this is, this, is one of, this is one of the idols in the American church that needs to be torn down, this idea of consumerism and accumulation of materialism. What has God given to you? If it helps, write out a list with everything you own and then recognize that God has entrusted those things to you to be used for his kingdom and his glory. He's not entrusted those things to you so that you could enjoy them or so that you could hoard them. You remember 2020? You remember the toilet paper thing? <laughs> Man, it's, to- it's paper that you flush down the toilet. It's pa- I'll say it. It's paper that you flush down the toilet. And how many people were just, it's mine. <laughs> it's my paper. Ironically, people who make less than $20,000 a year are eight times more likely to give than those making over $75,000 per year. So if, if you've been waiting to be generous, if you've been waiting to start giving to this church or giving to the, to the sake of ministry, you, you've had opportunities to sponsor a child, to give towards missions, whatever that is, and you've kind of believed this, this cognitive distortion, I'll call it what it is. It's not a, it's not a true belief. You've been, you've been locked into this false narrative that if I, if I made more, then I would be generous. Statistically, you're eight times more likely to give now before you have more than waiting until you have more. And if you don't start, even if it's small, I had, I had a mentor challenge me when I was, man, I made like nothing in college, right? I worked three jobs, I rode a bike everywhere, and somehow I still like made nothing. I had a mentor challenge me, would you give $20 a month? And I did, and that was like way more than like 20, 10% of my income at that point in time. I was like, how, how is this even possible? But if you don't start now, when will you ever start? 
The average American Christian gives 2.5% of their income to churches. And I know inflation, and I know the economy, and I know all that stuff is real, but, but just think about this for a moment. The average Christian during the Great Depression gave 3.3%. 0.8% more during the Great Depression. I don't think we have an economy problem when it comes to generosity. I think we've got a heart problem, don't we? If you're waiting for your own financial situation, and I'm not saying you should be unwise or anything like that. You've got to take care of your family. We've got to, we've got to steward what God has given us. But I'm just saying, what if, what if the true riches is being rich in good works? What if true riches is being generous to others? What if the greatest joy, when he says God has given you everything you have to enjoy, what if the greatest joy he's referencing is the joy of giving? I would suggest that the happiest people on planet Earth are not the people who have the most, are the people who give the most and make the biggest difference, who make the biggest impact. American culture says God bless America and God bless us so that we can enjoy the blessing. The kingdom culture says, and still invites God to bless you. He says, God blesses me so I can bless others. Blessings are viewed as a tool to be used for God's kingdom. Randy Alcorn, he's written much on giving. In The Treasure Principle, he says this, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. It's true because it rhymes. <laughs> no, not everything that rhymes is true. You should know that by now, but it's, it's helpful. We think, okay, God, God blesses me, God bless, and we pray, God bless, God bless, God bless me. And we think, God blesses me so that I can level up in society, but what if God was actually blessing you so you could level up in your impact? See, Jesus continues his, his teaching on money in Matthew 6, 20 and 21. He says this. He says, don't, don't lay up treasures on earth. He says this, continuing this thought, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is your heart on God's kingdom? Is your heart in heaven? Is your heart for other people? Other people will last into eternity, but the things that you own will not. And I truly believe the most enjoyable thing that you can do with what God has entrusted to you is to help others and to invest in ministry. So you want to know a good investment? Invest in God's kingdom. We talked about like, how should, what should you do with your money? Is it GameStop or AMC, right? Well, GameStop, it's not at $347 anymore, by the way. It's, it's, it's uh, settled back down, those shares, around $25 a share. And uh, what's an investment strategy for you with your life? I can tell you one foolproof investment that you will never regret investing in God's kingdom. Too often, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't invest or you shouldn't save or any of that sort of stuff. What I'm saying is too often when we think about a good investment, we're thinking about interest, and as Christians, we need to think about impact. Does that make sense? We're thinking about interest rate. What's the best return for my money? And we should actually be thinking about impact. What's the greatest impact for God's kingdom? A.W. Tozer says it so well. He says, money can be transformed into everlasting treasure. It can be converted into food for the hungry, clothing for the poor. It can keep a missionary actively winning lost men to the gospel. Any temporary possessions can be turned into everlasting wealth. Whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Whew. That's powerful. 
And, and, and when, when Jesus and when Paul and when A.W. Tozer, when, when they're talking about, you know, transforming what you have here into everlasting wealth, you know, some people might say, well, that's another jewel on your crown. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be sporting a crown. Maybe. And maybe I'll be like, look at all my jewels in heaven. That seems a little, it seems a little bit like pride, I guess. Or some people say like, well, you know, man, there's Jesus gone ahead to prepare a place for us, heavenly mansions. How big of a jacuzzi do you want in your heavenly mansion? You see that? I'm like, isn't that just like greed, but like played out into eternity? So, okay, you see what I'm saying? And hey, maybe that is the case, and I will have a huge jacuzzi, and I'm not going to complain about that forever, okay? I think the treasure in heaven, if you think about What's the genuine thing that God loves and desires more than anything else? It's the soul of the children that he's created. Do you believe that? People are the prize. People are the treasure. People are where the value is at. And when you think about this, like, I don't, I don't really care what my, like, I could have a shack in heaven. It doesn't matter, right? But when I think about if I make a difference in someone's life, that is a stomach that was empty that could be filled. That's a body that can be clothed. That's someone who, who, who needs to learn how to read who can be educated. That's someone who's called into ministry that gets trained. That's a, a missions organization. That's a church planted. That's souls saved for eternity. And if you have the opportunity, and I, I think we will have the opportunity in heaven forever to meet people who are touched by the impact that we made for the gospel, using what God has entrusted to us, I think that's a value that far surpasses any jewel on a crown, any jacuzzi in a mansion, or anything else that you might be paying it forward and getting heavenly interest rate on. Does that make sense? That's a vision, that's a compelling vision that centers our hearts on loving God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength and centers our lives on loving your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said it. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We might think about it like this. If you genuinely love God and love your neighbor as yourself, does your wallet reflect that? Does your spending reflect that? Does your bank account reflect that? Or if, if God were to check your online banking transactions, would he look at that and say, it seems like the only person that you love is yourself? Let's finish off our text. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21, the final two verses of 1 Timothy. He says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. And he says, grace be with you, and it's really grace be with you all. It's the plural of you. And here, the last two verses, what Paul returns to, if you've been with us all summer, is you know that the primary purpose for this letter is to combat false teaching in Ephesus and to, to remove false teachers from leadership and appoint godly teachers and godly leaders for the church. And so what Paul does is he keeps the same financial language, though. He says, guard the deposit which has been entrusted to you. Think about if, if you have something incredibly valuable, you don't just want to keep it under your mattress. 
You don't want to just keep it in your closet. You don't want to just keep it in your house. You want to find someone who you can say, can you keep this safe? Do you have a vault? Do you have a bank account with a high yield of, of interest or whatever, right? Now, the deposit that Paul is talking about is not a financial deposit to Timothy. Do you see that? The deposit he's talking about is in contrast to the false teaching of the, the, these, these, these uh, false leaders. I think the deposit he's referencing here is the gospel, those guys are spreading false teaching. They're spreading, they're spreading lies. They're spreading half-truths. He's like, you have been entrusted with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. You've got to protect that with your life. Here's the point. The gospel is our most valuable possession. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our, most power, is our most valuable possession. I might say it like this. If you have the gospel, if you've received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have enough. You have enough. If your soul is saved from death, you've been forgiven from your sins, you've been raised up into a new life, you've been filled with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you've been signed and sealed for the day of redemption, do you have enough? Regardless of what's in your bank account, regardless of what's on your dinner table, regardless of what kind of car you drive, the God, do you believe this? That the gospel genuinely is your most valuable possession and that when you have Christ, you have enough. You have enough. We've got to begin to view our lives and the value that we, we, we think about when we think about the salvation that we've received from Jesus. And what will happen is it will actually begin to change our hearts. It will change your identity, what you're living from, and it will change your hope, what you're living for. Look at this parable. It's a one-sentence parable from Jesus in Matthew 13, verse 44. He says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Again, using this kind of money and wealth and riches is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his Joy. Everyone say joy. In his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. And I bet if this guy had a wife, she'd be like, you're going to sell everything we have? And hopefully they talked about it. You've got to be united on money in your, in your marriage, right? Or if he had friends, and they didn't know there was a treasure in this field, they would look at him and be like, you're going to sell everything you have to buy this field? Because all they see is a field, what do they not see? They don't see the treasure. They don't see the value. And that's why the gospel of Jesus looks like foolishness to this world. Why would you take up your cross and follow someone who lived 2,000 years ago? Why would you give more than 2.5% of your income? Why would you spend you know, time serving others? Why, why, would you, why would you talk to your neighbor about Christ? Risk, why would you risk making things weird? That's pretty much the only risk that we have in America, by the way. Sometimes when people like to talk about, like, we're a persecute, we're not, per like, the only thing you're risking is making, you're not even risking the relationship most of the time. They'll probably still wave at you, which is pretty much all they do now, right? You'll just make it a little bit weirder when they wave at you. We say at Hill City Church, we follow Jesus with everything. That seems like foolishness to this world. Why would you live your whole life for your religion? Isn't that just like a slice of the pie? And we're like, no, not Hill City Church, it's not. We follow Jesus with everything, 
Every day, every dollar, every relationship, every thought, every action, every word. We follow Jesus here at Hill City Church with, everyone say it, with everything. We are sold out, all in, followers of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it is a joy. It's a joy to sell everything you have, to leave it all behind. It's a joy to buy that field because you know that in that field, the kingdom of heaven is the most valuable possession. And it is a gift that God has given you at the cost of Jesus Christ, his, his son's blood dripping down, pouring down on the cross. And Jesus did that, it says in Hebrews, for the joy set before him. And so it is a joy to follow Jesus with everything. David's prayer in Psalm 51, when he's confronted with his own sinfulness, what does he say? Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Is it a joy for you today? This is about way more than money. Do you see that? This is about you giving your whole life, living your whole life for Jesus, for his kingdom, seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and trusting God that the rest will be added to you. But you're not really counting the rest that's added to you. Because that ledger is not nearly as important as the ledger of sin that was canceled at the cross when the nails went, went in Jesus' hands. And so we live following Jesus with everything for the joy of that salvation. And here's what I would just ask you. If you've received that joy and you're living your life for Christ and you're guarding that, that sacred deposit of the gospel that's been entrusted to you, why wouldn't you share that? Say we're talking about money and stuff, and yeah, we've got to share our stuff and help those who are in need and, and be generous for the sake of ministry and the mission of God and all the rest. But if, if the most valuable possession that you have is the gospel, that's also the most valuable thing that you can share. Because if you only ever share a dollar, you're helping someone's physical need. And you're showing love in that moment. That's important. You're building a relationship. But if you only share your stuff and you never share the gospel, then that person still does not have a living hope found in the gospel. Does that make sense? And so the true treasure, the true treasure, the most valuable prize is the gospel of Jesus that's been entrusted to you. And here at the end of 1 Timothy, the charge that Paul, the very last command that Paul gives to Timothy is you've got to treasure that and share it with those who have not received the gospel yet. School started this week. Any parents in the room? Let's give it up for the parents in the room. God has entrusted your kids to you to entrust the gospel to them. I want to show you a picture. Uh, my oldest had her first day of kindergarten this week. I know, I know it may surprise you from the nervous look on her face. No, she's great. She's super excited. I mean, there was, you know, the normal kind of tears and you know, saying goodbye and meeting classmates and all that. I want to tell you just a story. I'm so proud of my daughter, Lily, on her first day of kindergarten. Uh, my wife walked her to school. We live pretty close by, and she picked a flower. She's always picking flowers, you know. Picked a flower, and she just, you know, it's like her, like for a kid, they don't know, like, the actual monetary. It's, it was probably a weed, but it had a flower on it, you know. They don't know what things are worth or anything. And she just loved the flower, and then she saw a girl who was sad, stand, another kindergartner, right before she went into class, having a hard time saying goodbye to her mom. And so my daughter was like, oh, this is... This made me happy. So what did she do? She gave it to this little friend. Well, that friend actually was in her class and actually sat in the desk right next to my daughter. And I picked my daughter up from school that day, and we were walking home, 
and she saw that same girl still crying at the end of the day. Kindergarten's hard, folks. <laughs> that girl was still crying at the end of the day, waiting for the bus, and I was so proud. I saw my daughter Lily run up to her, give her a hug. She's like, you're going to see your mom really soon, and hugged her. And I'm just like, Lord, this is amazing. And I get home, and I just, I'm just so proud of, of my daughter Lily. And I just say, you got it? This is discipleship. You ready? Take a note. It's discipleship. I said, Lily, you know, I don't think it's an accident that you're sitting next to that girl in your kindergarten class. I said, you know what? I actually, and I actually believe this. I'm not just making this stuff up. You don't, <laughs> your kids could tell when you make stuff up, by the way. <laughs> and I just like, I got down. I was like, you know what? God wants to use you to help that girl. Not this is a great friend for you. Not how, you know, it's like God, God has made you and put you in your kindergarten class and seated next to this girl that somehow you handed her the flower and you hugged her at the bus stop because God wants to use my five-year-old daughter to shine the light of the gospel in her kindergarten class. Here's why I tell you that story. Not just because I'm a proud parent. I tell you that story. Who has God put in your life? Do you think you live in the neighborhood you live on accident? Do you think you're surrounded by the coworkers that you have on accident? Do you think that you have the friend group, maybe even friends who you grew up in church and they've fallen away from faith on accident? Do you think you have that family member, that extended family, who, who you know it is weird whenever you bring up the fact that you go to church, right? Do you think that you have that relationship with that family member on accident? Or do you believe that God has placed you specifically in the path and in the lives of, of the community that you live in to guard that precious deposit of the gospel and to shine the light of Jesus wherever you go? That is the true riches that God has entrusted to us. Would you live your life that way? Would you live your life? It's not about dollars, it's about people. And people will last into eternity and you have the opportunity to take the temporary material possessions and the moments that God gives you right here, right now to make an eternal difference for his kingdom, amen? Let's stand and worship our God. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.